Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Simon Dudley, Chief Contrarian for Accession Events. To learn more and for information about the book and other resources, please go to accessionevents.com. Scott and I's conversation went so well, we in fact decided to turn this into two podcasts. The second part will be out in early February. Welcome, everyone. This is Simon Dudley at the Accession Events podcast. This week's guest, Scott Wharton, top man, grand poobah, something or other at Logitech. Very important individual. I'm extremely happy to have him on the show. Scott, welcome. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Good. Now, look, I don't think it actually says grand poobah on your business cards. So what does it say and how long have you been there and, you know, all of that? Tell us the corporate pitch. So it says that I'm the general manager of the video collaboration group at Logitech. So basically that includes all of our corporate uh, video conferencing camera and speakerphone devices, our webcams, and some headsets for unified communications. Now that sounds very, more than very, it's just very, very important. So you're obviously, you report to Daryl, Bracken Daryl? Our report to a head of product management and the CEO. Okay, so yeah, important man. So, how did you get this job? I, I don't mean the interview process so much as what did you do before this? Because some of us won't know that story. Well, before, I've basically been in the industry for about more than 20 years. Started out with the first VoIP company, Internet Phone, Talk for Free of the Internet. Um, we went public after Netscape, it was a crazy time. And then I uh, was going to go to California to do startups, and then I got pulled away for this job. In, the DC area for this small startup called Broadsoft, which was just getting started. Uh, and they ended up doing really well and going public. And then, uh, and then I had this idea of starting a company that would do cloud video conferencing in 2008. And we were really the first one to be able to take the high-end video conferencing systems like Cisco Polycom LifeSize and have them interoperate with Skype and Google Talk, et cetera. And we were fortunate enough that we sold the company a couple of years ago. And uh, then I took a year off with the kids, sabbatical, traveled around the world, and then now here at Logitech. So you did uh, cloud video conferencing before cloud video conferencing was a thing at some level, at least until it was a competitive thing. There was no other players in the market. Is that right? I think we were really the first, and certainly we were the ones who kind of coined the term and, and evangelize this idea of putting it purely in the cloud for the enterprise. So I have to ask, right, for those of us who've got a bit of history in the market, that must have been pretty tough, right? I mean, cloud is becoming, I don't know about trivial is the right word, but certainly much easier than it used to be. 2008, what's that, eight years ago, so nearly 100 times less compute, according to the Moore's Law. How did you cope at the time? I think it was difficult. I think there were a lot of people who... Uh, believe that things would never move to the cloud. And um, you're right, I think there were constraints in terms of uh, computing, and we were just starting to use Amazon um, for cloud services, and most people weren't using that or aware of it. So I think it was hard. I think the biggest advantage we had is that there was a big pain point when you were in these big conference rooms for Cisco and Polycom that people would often say, all right, let me invite you to a meeting. And they would say, do you have a Cisco and Polycom system? And they would invariably say no. <laughs> the ability to give someone a Skype uh, address or an invite and just have them dial in with Skype or Google was a huge change at the time. Now I think we take for granted that you can just send out a URL 
and dial. But back then, it was extremely difficult, especially if you want to have a call outside of your enterprise walls. Sure. I think it's one of the things the Blue Jeans did a good job, maybe a few years after you, in, um, in getting the world to understand that you could have a corporate network and then you couldn't talk to another corporate network. We built all these islands of video conferencing after we went off ISDN. I'm just sitting thank the Lord that we went off ISDN, by the way. That was such a good decision all those years ago. But it did mean we're all islands, and as a result, one organization couldn't speak to another one. Major problem. Yeah, uh, the Blue Jeans raising $100 million and having the marketing to educate didn't, didn't hurt. Sure. Now, now, Vidtel didn't make, well, maybe it did and no one got told, but it was privately sold. So I'm assuming it wasn't listed as a billion-dollar business. What, I have to ask, you know, what went wrong, uh, if anything? Well, I don't think anything went wrong. I think we had a good outcome and everybody made money on the deal. Um, I think it was challenging, though, when you're competing with someone that has literally, uh, you know, up to 20 times more amount of money raised than you did. It was just it's, it, that it made it very difficult to compete. But I think overall we raised less money, but we had a good outcome. And uh, I'm pretty proud of what we built. And we built some incredible technology that's ongoing. And uh, now we consider mainstream, but we were ahead of the curve. And sometimes we were just a little early. Sure. Yeah, uh, it seems to me that it's funny how technology works. Early can be just as bad as late sometimes. It depends. In fact, late is often easier to cope with because at least you can see what somebody else has done. Um, people have done, and then also the, you know, the market is just bigger. Yes, I, I read an article recently that talked about technologies, teams, and markets and how every startup will tell you that their technology is what really matters. And, of course, the team are top-notch, and so they really matter. And the market's the third. And a guy, I forget his name, we can look it up. And he said, no, no, it's the other way around. Markets are what matters. Because if, as long as you've got a relatively viable product in a market, then if your product is really good, then the world will beat a path to your door, which is kind of true sometimes. I think it's probably more important than technologies, as long as the product works. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, we at Vocal Tech, we had essentially what Skype had and more, um, but we had it eight years earlier than they did. And at the reality of it, we were working on dial-up, and there just weren't that many internet users, and Skype kind of came in at the right place. They were able to leverage peer-to-peer -peer technology that didn't exist. So they kind of came in at the right place at the right time with the right bit of technology. Um, I feel like Logitech a bit um, is in that timing issue and that video conference has been around for a long time, but you really need a combination of off-the-shelf technology and cloud services to attach them to. So, I mean, we're kind of clearly in that sweet spot where the market is already happening in the cloud and the cost of delivering is, is falling to the floor. Um, but we're in a great place to be able to move video conferencing from this super high-end proprietary or hard-to-use system to kind of mass market all around the world. It's part of why I'm so excited to be at Logitech. Yeah, so what's the strategy now at Logitech, right? You've got, you've obviously got some relatively lower-end webcams, but you've also got some stuff that looks shockingly like, at least in form, to some of the big guys' uh, technologies, but at much less price. So what, what's your thinking? Where are you going with this? Yeah, so I think the problem that we're solving is if you look at where video conferencing is going, it went from these really high-end, very expensive systems, which work great, um, but as you know all too well, they were complicated and you just couldn't buy that many. And then I think the market overshot. We went from these super high-end telepresence systems to, hey, it works on my mobile. Um, but <laughs> when you're in a meeting with 
15 people and you want to be in a conference room, you don't want to all huddle around a smartphone or a laptop like that just doesn't work. So what you really want is to have the same experience that you had in a high-end system like Cisco or Polycom, but have it be at a fraction of the price. And I think that's what we're doing and why Logitech is so good for this in that the market really requires going from low volume, high price to high volume, relatively low prices, but still really good quality and have a great experience in a conference room. And um, you know, that's why I think Logitech is suited for that. It's kind of what we do. We make high quality hardware at relatively reasonable prices. Now, what you didn't do, and I'm guessing this is pretty deliberate, is that you didn't decide we'll build a software application that goes along with the hardware. And we, in other words, you won't build your own cloud. You haven't built your own cloud solution yourselves. And you just sold off a division of your company that was like that was known as Life Size uh, that does have that sort of technology. So you appear to have been uh, or have tried to become Switzerland and rather successfully, from what I can see, at least externally. Was that a deliberate? I'm guessing it is. Can you talk us through why that was your deliberate plan? Well, I think it is a deliberate choice. I think what I've seen is that a lot of people on the market, including Logitech, I think eight years ago, um, they try to get integrated all the way where they take the hardware, the software, the cloud, and they think, oh, wouldn't that be a better user experience? The problem is then you start competing with your partners. So I think in our case, you know, there are some great cloud solutions, whether they be from Microsoft with Skype or Zoom or BlueJeans and video and others. And what they don't do is make great hardware. So for us to come in, we say, we make great hardware and we're not going to compete with you. We're just going to extend what you do with great APIs. And we want to be in a position that the cloud providers, no matter who they work with, they always pick Logitech. So we don't want to compete with our partners. And uh, yeah, we want to be Swiss. And I think so far that strategy is really working for us. Which has to bring up, right, you know, it's always the, I don't know, the elephant in the room, not really, but it's certainly something we need to discuss, right? Life size just spun out of Logitech in the last month or so. Um, that's an interesting role big or move because LifeSize was a hardware manufacturer and which kind of reinvented itself or is in the process of attempting to reinvent itself as a cloud player. When you start, I know it's long before your time, so I never really understood if Logitech wanted to take that secret source that LifeSize had back then and integrate it. If they did, I guess it didn't necessarily work. But in the modern era, uh, was it a deliberate, from your point of view, did it make your life easier? And or is there now a situation where you can put a clear line of demarcation between this is what LifeSize does as a separate entity to you, although you're a big shareholder, and what Logitech does? So I think the vision that was here, and I can't necessarily speak to it firsthand because I wasn't here, but if you looked at what was happening in 2008, 2009, um, LifeSize was going to come down market and kind of essentially do what we're doing today, and then we would go up market and there would be this beautiful synergy. But I think what happened is LifeSize, just for whatever reason, didn't innovate faster, fast enough coming down market. Um, I think more than that, too, we're taking a different approach. Like our products at LogShack are very much simple USB devices where we hook up to cloud services. And I think what LifeSize was really doing was taking their products and making them cheaper, but weren't necessarily making them different. They were still complicated. And uh, I think at the end of the day, they, they decided that the market was moving faster to cloud and that that would be a better strategy. Whereas I think from our point of view, we agree that it's moving to cloud, but we'd rather be that you still need a piece of hardware in the conference room, a camera and a speakerphone to be able to connect to. So the strategies diverge, so which is why I think it makes sense to spin them off and let them see if they can survive on their own, but they don't really fit in with their strategy anymore. Whereas our 
division really is squarely within the strategy of Logitech and that we make hardware peripheral hookup to cloud platforms. That's what the rest of the company does, whether it's mice and keyboards or music players or, or video conferencing. Sure. And, you know, one of the things I don't want to labor at this point, but one of the things to consider, of course, that most people don't seem to is business models, right? It's all well and good. You can have the best product in the world, but if you don't have a business model that allows clients to buy at a reasonable price, you're in trouble. And and I guess all I'll say about that is Logitech is one of the world's great distribution organizations. It, most people don't think of it in those terms. They think, oh, they make great webcams for $100 and they're in everywhere from CDW to Fry's. You can buy or airport vending machines. You could buy a Logitech product. That matters. That's the sort of technologies or, or business processes that take 20 years to build, and none of your competitors seem to me to be in that position. No, I agree, and, I, and it's one of the things that attracted me to Logitech because I, I always worked at smaller companies, and people say, well, what do you like about working for a bigger company? And I think one of the things that I struggled with always is you, you start as a startup, and then you build this great technology, and then you go, oh, my God, I have to spend $100 million and hire all these people all around the world to build a distribution network, whereas the opportunity here for me is I could go out and work with the team to build some cool products and then immediately get it into, you know, 100 countries worldwide. That was really compelling. Yeah, it's fun. I talk about in my book, um, which I have to bring up, this is after all the Accession Events podcast, I talk about how it's actually much easier to sell $1 million product than it is to sell a million $1 products and make money. Um, to have the infrastructure to allow that is really hard and the whole idea that a startup or a you know, small company can scale like that is silly even in the cloud world there's just not enough stuff you can do that allows you to get to that size in any meaningful way well and i'll even add something to your example i think it's even harder to build a company that sells a hundred thousand units at a hundred dollars because when you're selling something at a dollar each, you can be mass market, consumer, no customer service, yeah. all brand oriented. When you're selling a million dollar product, that's all hand by hand combat sales. When you're doing what we're doing, you really have to have everything across the company to be very efficient and have a global supply chain and keep your costs down, but um, massive scale on the distribution side. And, and I think if you look in the world, there are very few companies that have actually been successful at being in that middle tier. It's very hard. Yeah, it is. One slip up in process and suddenly you're losing $5 on every device you sell. And, oh, look, you sold 10 million devices and, oh, then we've gone bust. Yeah. I can... but, uh, what people don't realize on the hardware side, because I've always done software and cloud. And when you release a product, you go, Woo, you just put it up in the FTP site or Amazon and you're done. Whereas when you want to get a hardware product out, there's all this uh, homologation and making sure you're dealing with requirements in Brazil and Ukraine or Australia. I mean, it's it's actually very, very difficult. So to have an organization that actually knows how to do that um, is very hard and very expensive and very valuable. So from your point of view, right, Logitech, I read somewhere recently that of the 11 best-selling webcams of one or USB cameras in the world, uh, you were 10 of the 11. And the somebody else, I forget who it was, it's probably irrelevant, was number 11. So that's plainly a very defense, you've got a very defensible position right now. How, what's your plan for maintaining that without giving away all the secrets of the organization? Well, I think on the webcam side, what's interesting is that we've actually seen the market pick up recently. It was declining for a number of years, but it's actually growing again, partly because you see people using it for gaming or broadcasting. 
where the reality is if you're doing eight hours a day doing uh, video conferencing, you want to have the best experience. So to spend $100 or $50, et cetera, not a big cost either for the individual or the company. You know, having said that, I think we think most of our biggest growth area is going to be in this, this sweet spot of the conference room. And as the market moves from the high-end systems to cloud, what we're finding over and over again is that what people will do for an experience is they'll stick a laptop at the end of the table and they'll all, you know, huddle around and, you know, they'll, they'll joke like, I hope HR is not here because they're all a little bit too close to each other. <laughs> and, uh, we, we joke, huddle, don't cuddle. So what we think is you should have that experience where you have a really high quality camera and speakerphone. You can all sit wherever you want. The audio and video should be great. And, you know, there's 50 million conference rooms in the world and it's growing every year, partly because people are moving from these closed offices to open floor plans. You, need to, you can't have a video conference in your open floor plan anymore. You need to go to these huddle rooms. And um, nobody's really tackled that market really well. So we think there's this huge open untapped market to be able to video enable all of these rooms. And, and uh, because the cloud services are now everywhere within a company, you need to be in a room and be able to have these calls. And you need, you need, you need to have something more than just huddling around a, a webcam or a, heaven forbid a smartphone where you're holding it up, everybody's kind of over your shoulder. Sure, it's interesting to me that there's also another angle to that, that as video conferencing is becoming more per pervasive, this whole idea that we are, quote, a you know, polycom shop or a life size shop or a Cisco shop, it's becoming meaningless to the users. The users are like, but I have to talk to my supplier and my supplier is using Hangouts and our other supplier is using Skype for Business and our, the, one of our customers uses WebEx. So this whole idea of having a monolithic video conferencing solution in a meeting room, however good it is, is irrelevant if it's a, whatever, it's running call manager on that and your client's running WebEx even more insane because it's from the same company, and they're not compatible. And you're like, oh, well, I'll run this on my laptop then. So the whole idea of kind of accelerating the experience from a PC because then your users can do whatever they want seems that, to me a much more logical answer than this whole, oh, we'll just have a different hardware codec. That seems such an anathema now. No, I think that makes sense. And I, I think one of the things that I learned at Vitel, one of the big mistakes that I made, in retrospect, is, is Vitel was really built on this idea of global interoperability, kind of using the PSDN for voice as the model. But that's not how the world has turned out. I think much more of what's happened is because you have open computing, instead of everything being like tied to a physical device with one standard and then you have interoperability, people just download as many clients as they need, whether it's on a computer, a laptop, smartphone, and then you send out a link and then you join. So what you want is not a system that tries to interrupt everything and do it terribly. I think what you want is have an open computing system and an open camera system that just works with everything and acknowledge the fact that interoperability is, is dying and moving to the graveyard. And the new world is no interoperability, but the new interop is I send you a link and you download my client instead of trying to get everything to work together. I mean, think about it this way. We don't try to get your uh, Facebook Messenger to work with Yahoo, IM, and well, Skype. It doesn't, you don't even expect that anymore. You try. I mean, there's applications in the instant messenger world like Trillium, but everyone knows that Trillium is a jack of all trades and master of none, and as a result, you end up with this master uh, IM client, which is, is kind of not very good at everything. And so what everyone does, I mean, I'm just looking down my my uh, scroll bar at the bottom of my screen here. Now, I'm running right now, I'm running uh, Skype, 
Messenger, Starleaf, and Zoom. And it works. And, and it works. And I don't even think about it. It's and in fact, you and I, well, we generally speak. This this happens to be on Zoom. Um, so well done, Eric and team. Great, great product. But it could easily have been on a Starleaf, or we could have done it on Life Size Cloud if we had an account, or you know whatever other application we chose to. And we just sort of went, oh well, which one? I remember us discussing it. Which one should we use? Well, I'll just I'll send out an invite, and you said yes. So I assumed it was one that you were familiar with. But we could have done it on anything. It doesn't matter anymore. No, no, it, it doesn't. It's funny how I've been in this industry. Where it does matter is if I had a traditional product like life size or polycom or even some of the newer competitive products that are just cheaper but have SIP and that it would matter and that you can't you'd have to wait for them to R&D engineer the software in it or the interop and I think that this whole model is completely broken it won't work anymore yes I mean you're right if I had a, a I don't know let's just for argument say I had a polycom hdx 8000 in here um, ignoring the fact I'd need to run the AC more often uh, in my office, there is the issue that then I'd have to send, right, have you got a SIP client or can we use something in the cloud that would transcode the two technologies? It's like, what? Who cares? I just what, just click click on the link, like you did. You clicked on the link in, in iCalendar. Yeah, what most people do is they would just have their great Polycom system sitting there at $20,000 HDX, and they'd be running Skype on their laptop right next to it. So it just shows you where the market's going. So we want people to not only be on their laptop. Laptop for personal use is fine, but in the conference room, we want you to have a conference room experience. So that's really our main focus today. And if you think about it, there's a lot to do to make that experience better from, can I make the meetings start on time? Can I work across different vendors? How do I really make the audio and video fantastic? Um, and in the future, I guess the vision is not only moving from one camera to maybe having multiple angles and multiple cameras. You don't have to necessarily be limited to the traditional one camera, one speakerphone. So that sure. makes it exciting. You used to, I mean, in my ideal, I think we would not only try to emulate the in-person experience, but maybe make it better. I was giving the example with my son the other night when we were, I asked him if he wanted to go to a, a football game um, or whether you want to watch it at home. And he goes, dad, I want to watch it at home because the view is better. I thought it's very funny way of thinking about it, right? But maybe the same should be thought of for video conferencing. If you've got cameras each which way and you could use artificial intelligence to figure out where to put the camera and at multiple uh, angles, maybe video conferencing will be seen as better than being there in person in some ways. Well, I mean, he's certainly right about the football. Uh, every football game I went to this year, there would be, I'd be eating a hot dog or something and something would happen on the pitch. And, uh, and where's the instant replay? Well, of course, there's no instant replay in reality, is there? That's most annoying. I want to pause it because I got to go to the bathroom. Oh, yeah, awesome. <laughs> fifty-five thousand other people all sat there at uh, the Cowboys Stadium, all waiting for me to get back from the uh, restroom. <laughs> I don't think the game would ever continue if everyone had that uh, facility. That's cool. Okay, so you know it's 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 interesting. I, I think that Logitech is changing, is genuinely changing the market. But it's also interesting that without the likes of Skype for Business, WebEx, Zoom, Starleaf, you know, all these other players, you would be, I do get the impression, I remember talking to some Logitech people six, seven years ago when I was at LifeSize and they bought us, and we said, how many webcams are you selling? And they, I forget the number, it was some insane amount of webcams. And we said, what's everyone doing with them? And the guy I spoke to just went, well, <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's only so much photo booth you can use a webcam for. You know, there, 
now there seems to be this perfect storm of applications as well as low-cost technologies. The days of the the $10,000 meeting room is not going to fill up 50 million meeting rooms, if indeed that's the number. No, and also the reality is we have de we have devices that are $500 to $1,000 that are as good, if not in some cases better, than those systems were $50,000. And I think for a business, you want you want something that's reasonably priced, but you don't want it to be cheap. And you're willing to pay some money to get a good good experience. I think that kind of business pricing is the sweet spot and will probably be for the future. Yeah, so someone once told me, or in fact, somebody from CDW once told me, that the sweet spot for a product to buy off the page for either Amazon or CDW is $800. If you can make your product, that people will just press the button. If it's above that, they'll start doing some more research and thinking about it. Uh, so it's I don't know why psychologically $799 is the sweet spot, but it just seemed to be that. Well, from your manager to to do that partly it's just because it's easy right it, if you make a mistake and it's eight hundred dollars you can throw it in the garbage not a big deal in the second half of the interview scott and i discuss a range of things including wcc slack spark bieber and all those other technologies as well as x47 fighters some new technology coming out from logitech in early february and the state of artificial intelligence. I really hope you enjoy this show and I think you'll find the second half is at least as fascinating. So that's goodbye from Simon Dudley and Scott Wharton and we'll speak to you soon in a couple of weeks.